Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the DMs if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in. Links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. What's going on, everybody? Another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. This is our 50th episode. Can't thank you all enough for joining and being a part of this ride. It's been a lot of fun. We've had a ton of excellent... It, it's kind of cool. Now that I'm thinking about it, it just turned 2020, a new decade. We just hit 50 episodes. We can look back at the last year and a half of where we've come and the people we've interviewed and all the listeners that are, are tuning in and enjoying this. All the people we tricked into thinking that we had cool stuff to say. Yeah. 50, whole episodes. 50 whole episodes if you've made it this far gotcha hell <laughs> no thank you so much for being a part of our journey and uh cheers to 50 more cheers to a great 2020 full of health and happiness and chasing the dreams and hunting and spending time with your dog and your family and making memories so thank you for joining our ride on the ldgdc LDGDC, Lone Ducks on Dog Chronicles. doesn't really roll off the tongue, but we can no. let it ride. I had to think about it pretty hard there. I'm sweating. Now, quick thank you to our sponsors. First up, as always, Yukonuba. You can do it, baby. Yuk, the food that fuels our dogs. The feed they need. Ooh. You dig, Kev? Yeah, I kind of like that. The feed you need. I don't know. All right. Well, they're probably going to well, tell us well, no, that yeah, Probably. That's okay. <laughs> I liked it, though. My creative juices are, are not full swing right now, but Yuke is an excellent blend of nutrients. It's science behind the food, so they've got the best scientists working on different blends to 
basically deliver everything your canine athlete needs to rebuild muscle, gain endurance, good teeth, good coat, all that stuff. So if you're interested in switching to Uke, now is the time to do it. Gunner Kennels, the safest man's best kennel on the market. It's what old Quinn rides when she's in the back seat of my truck. Uh, I don't let her ride around in my truck all willy-nilly like because, hey, you know, accidents happen, and I would hate for her to, you know, be a part of that. So she, when she's riding my truck, she's in my gunner kennel in the back seat strapped in. Um, so I love them. If you're interested, shoot us a message and learn more about them. We also have a tip that came in or a question that came in from our Gunner Kennel friends. So we're going to cover that here shortly. Uh, next up, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. These guys help us with our analytics and keeping us engaged with you. So thank you to Waypoint Outdoor Collective. So now that we're getting into our shisha show, Kevo, one of the things that Kevin and I like to do, this is the second annual, is a Christmas Eve grouse hunt. It's one of those things where... We've been duck hunting a lot, our grouse dogs, the deer hunting season's over, and they haven't been out a little bit because, you know, guys are out hunting in the woods, so we put a little damper on the grouse hunting, and so Christmas Eve, we get up early, and, and we head out to a couple different spots that, you know, sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not, and, and really, we, if you listen to last week's episode with Tom Keir, he does a lot of preseason scouting with his dogs. Maybe something we want to do. Should probably look into that. I've heard scouting's important. It is. And and finding cover. But a lot of what Kevin and I do, because we're still novices as far as grouse hunting goes, is our hunts, our scouting missions. So we try new covers, and we're pointed in the right direction for Christmas Eve. I don't know. Santa dropped a little nugget. Santa dropped a pin. Santa dropped a pin <laughs> slash nug for us to try out and Andy actually we don't know what was up with her but she was limping for a few days so I she, think she just pulled a muscle she's okay yeah she's good now but she was limping so we just took out Kevin's uh young dog Covey who this is her first hunting season um while Kevin was whelping Birdie's litter this fall I had Covey and we got her pointing and good with gunfire and working fields and just learning the ropes. And uh, so this was her first hunt on grouse alone, right? She's been pheasant hunting, but not grouse. Yeah, we've done some pheasant hunting with her and a ton of training, which, you know, isn't the same, but she she can do the job, you know? Sure. So we took her out, and at first she was running pretty big um, and just happy to be out. I don't oh, know if yeah, she, she was ready what, to rip. She didn't really know what to look for, but actually right off the bat, she spins and like flushes a grouse and locks on point to the flush. And uh, old Kevo, he, he saw it, but didn't get to shoot. Well, we, we got to back up a little bit there. What we had hit, happened was we were 25, 30 yards from the truck. Yeah, I was grabbing some TP to go. Exactly. We, had, we hadn't even really started the hunt. And Covey hit the ground, you know, like a like a bat out of hell, and just started trucking down the down the path there, and started skidding to a stop at the bird. Fl yeah, exactly. The bird flushed, and 
I mean, she stopped. Uh, it, was, it was a sight point. There was no way she smelled that. She was running at full speed. Right. But still good, uh, positive. If anything, my God, Christmas Eve morning at 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, we had a we pushed a bird, so that was out. pretty cool. So it still beats some of our other hunts. So. Yeah. So we kind of we worked the different covers that we had found, and Kevin and Covey, you know, just because it's her – she is his dog. She would hunt closer to him, and I'd, you know, meander over here. I ended up, I think, pushing five grouse and got one shot off, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I had three. I think so. Yeah, we put yeah. So including including the one next to the truck, including the one next to the truck. So overall, on a Christmas Eve, no birds were killed in action, but. Covey got to work cover yep. and use her nose and got a couple points. Yeah. And no, I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time on, on our show here, I guess, but like the first hunt is a training situation. Yeah. Like you whether are you're transitioning from, exactly. yeah. Whether you're a retriever or a pointer, your first few hunts, it's all learning experience where they're putting the classroom into the work field. Yeah. So good experience. Now we go back maybe a week later because we pushed some birds. So we're like, all right, now we bring old Nick Hippolito and Huey, the utility prize one, <laughs> Hugh Bega. And uh, so instead of we, so now Andy's feeling better. We got Covey and we got Huey. Now three guys and three dogs pushing grouse cover is aggressive in my opinion. Like a bull in a china shop. So we figured it would, as we're driving to the grounds, we figured it'd be best if we split up and tackle different pieces of cover. And then after like an hour, meet up, hit a new piece, meet up, hit a new piece. And so for me, I'll tell my side of the story first. Me and Andy get into the cover, let Kevin and Nick get into the woods uh, on different pieces of the road. And we're going to basically hit it like a T like Kevin's going to come from the South. I'm going to come from the North and Nick's coming from the East or whatever. Right. So, and then like meet in the middle and go back to the truck. So she and I head into the woods and immediately within 10 minutes of hunting, she's out ahead of me. I don't see what happens. I just hear the flush. And I keep telling people who, who ask it was the grouse gods. Like he could have flown any which way in the woods, and I would have just heard it and not seen it. But here he comes directly over my head, and I just raised the gun straight up over top of my head and bang, rolled it. And that's a hard shot, though. Maybe for you. <sighs> Did you see that right, one keep, coming? Keep going. Yeah, no, I should have. <laughs> keep going. So, so it, I mean, it flew right at me and just put the barrel on it, started swinging through it and pulled the trigger, and it rolled and hit the ground and was like kind of flopping a little bit doing the old cripple and so i called andy over because she she was heard the flush or she flushed it who knows i couldn't see but she's running around like hell yeah <laughs> so i'm like get over here. raggedy get over here come here come here come here here and she finally comes over and first thing she does is you know jump on the bird to retrieve it and grabs the tail i'm like no <laughs> The old, you know, what the heck? A couple feathers fly out. I'm like, dang. All right. Well, good dog. You know, let her sniff it and, you know, praise her up and kick her back loose. 
And from that point on, she didn't bump another bird. She held birds until I could get in there and, and flush them myself. And without overselling it, I think she and I had a dozen birds put up in that first hour. Whether some of them were repoints, like flew off and, and we got them again and repointed them or not, I, I don't know. But the excitement of 12, is a that's a lot. It's a lot of grass. At least for where we live. I don't know. I mean, sure, that's right. a lot. It's just, it's a lot. a lot for anybody. So I was fired up and she, so she'd point and Andy's known for false pointing, old scent, you know, whatever. So a lot of times I'll go in on a woodcock and it's either walked off or it just wasn't there or it was there an hour ago. Who knows? But I'll break through thorns and crap <laughs> and, you know, I'm all cut up and I'm trying to get to her and there's nothing there. And as soon as I get to her, she just wanders off and starts hunting again. I'm like, damn, Randy, come on. So every time she goes on point, I'm like, all right, is this going to be a false point? We're but, working on it. But she's not a single false point the whole day. There were birds under her nose every time. So how far away under her nose? Mm-hmm. 10 yards, 15 yards. So she was respecting the bird and yep. giving it space. Um, and really, I wonder if that first bird she ran into and bumped it and it it was just that one bird that taught her, like, hey, go easy on them. Don't yeah. move in quicker. Don't just if you smell it, boom, point. So the most memorable one, she goes on point, and I'm trying to – you never want to come from behind the dog. You want to kind of swing around and get in between the birds so the birds are in between you and the dog. So I'm doing that, and I'm coming up, and we're kind of close to a road, okay, just to paint a picture. And – She's on point. She's not moving. And sometimes if I get close to her and she resets herself, then I know either the bird's not there or, she, you know, she might bump it, right? Which yeah. It's more likely that she false pointed and the bird's not there and she repositions, realizes there's no bird and she keeps hunting. So she's dead nuts. I mean, quivering, not moving a muscle. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I keep kind of guns ready, and I hear three birds underneath one little Christmas tree, and I got a shot on one. So it was pretty sweet. Um, Another one she pointed, I got a beautiful look at it, but it went across the road. So I didn't obviously shoot across the road, but um, just awesome experience, and awesome experience for her to to have that many grouse contacts because a lot of times if we do get into a habitat we might get one or two grouse points right not 12 so reps remember training dogs is reps she got 12 excellent reps at real grouse pinning them holding them not bumping them and and i was lucky enough that i got one minus a few feathers minus a few feathers but i still i still cut the fan off and saved it did you nice good for you where are you gonna put it I don't know, on my Oops. desk or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, So Bob dropped me off a little bit earlier, uh, well, not much earlier, I guess, 10 minutes earlier, and uh, I jumped across the road from the little parking lot there, and I was putting shells in my gun and should have learned from the week prior on Christmas Eve where you just always be ready because that's grouse hunting. And whenever you're not ready, that's when a bird's going to go up or, you know, woodcock hunting or whatever it might be. Well, I got stuck in a tree. And if anybody knows 
or has done enough grouse hunting and good grouse cover, you know that half the time you spend stuck in vines and in trees and in pricker bushes and things like that. And I was all up in a pricker bush and, uh, 10 yards away from me, maybe it's like, as soon as I walked in, that was what I walked into, uh, and just blew up and I got a good look at it, but I was in the middle of the tree. So I didn't get a shot. That was stupid. Regret that one. But then was like, okay, I'm going to be like, not happening again. Learn that lesson. Second time's a charm. And so, uh, you know, we keep pushing through the brush and probably 15, 20 minutes later, Covey is running around like a bat out of hell still trying to rein her in and teach her to work a little bit closer. And so again, it's still, I mean, it's still more of a training situation, honestly, but I'm also carrying a gun, trying to do a little grouse hunting too. So, um, she's running and just skids onto point. I'm like, she hadn't done that yet or, you know, today yet. I'm like, this is perfect. Not tails, not wagging, no flagging, just absolutely beautiful. I'm like, oh, should I take a picture? Like, I don't even know what to do right now. <laughs> Who trained that dog? I don't That's know. Right. It must have been an accident. But she, uh, she, so she looked beautiful. She was probably 20 yards in front of me. So I got a great look at her point. It was awesome. Felt great about it. And then after like the two second span of like, woohoo, I was like, oh, I should, I should get on up there. And so I kind of like, you know, humped it over there. Uh, through another pricker bush. It's my classic move. And uh, worked in front of her to to cross through where the bird's going to be. And it went up. It flew behind a little thicket. Can't hit him if you don't take a crack. And so I did. Missed. But it was awesome. Good and I you. love it. Um, real proud of her. She did a really good job. She stayed on point through the shot good. yeah i mean you know didn't see anything fall didn't whatever but didn't crack and then start running away you know chasing nothing sure which is a great little safety uh you know trick um so i don't know i, I was really proud for a new grouse dog she's young she is pretty immature um she just i, I don't know it was awesome it was very had i hit the bird it had been like you read about <laughs> that's right <laughs> Well, that's cool. And then Nick had, I think, one or two contacts with Huey and got one crack off. And so overall, our day was successful. We brought a bird home. And, you know, part of we talked about this on the ride home, too. Like our habitat around our home, it, it's tough on these birds. Yeah. And if we went in there and each killed a few, now instead of having 15 or 20 birds in that, you know, large amount of land, we just knocked it down to 10 or right. or, or nine. And those are going to be your breeders for the next year. And it's like, you know, Hey, if we can walk out of there every time with a couple points and one bird or just a couple points and a shot and a, a place for next year to go to, and that's still plentiful, that's a win for us. So yeah, I mean, we're really definitely and pumped. Yeah, I, I agree. It, as you say it, it definitely sounds a little bit like we were losers. And so we went home and we're like, no, no, yeah, no, but no. we learned something, no. but I got a bird. I would not say I'm a loser. All right. I walked into that one, too. (laughs) Point being that it really was awesome. We did a little bit of scouting, uh, some new territory, found a ton of berry bushes and some apple trees that we uh, will be going back to. 
Um, and so it, it was overall awesome. Yeah, good hunt. Now, we're going to do a quick tip right now. This this question came in from the Gunner Kennel crew, and we are going to write a blog post for them about this because it, it's something that's important. Right now, everybody's in the thick of hunting season and wrapping up hunting season. Their dogs are in phenomenal shape. They're getting a lot of work. Hopefully, you're getting out and getting a lot of work. And the fruits of your training are paying off into a great season with your dog. Now, off-season is coming, and what do you do to keep them in shape? So this was the question that Gunnar asked. What do you do in the off-season to keep them in shape? There's a lot you can do. A number one, keep training, right? Your dog did a great job. Let's say it's their first hunting season, and they broke a few times, and you had a hard time in this situation with live geese or, you know, whatever the case may be, keeping them in a training routine a few days a week will help keep them in shape. Running marks, having buddies, hunting buddies, or your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend or your husband, have them go out two nights a week after work and throw birds for you, throw bumpers for you. If they don't know how to run blinds, you've got eight months now until next duck season to where you can teach a dog how to sit on a whistle and tee pattern and pattern blinds and get them running blinds for next year. Work on multiple marks so they're able to see a few ducks fall down and be able to retrieve. Your training is your cardio, is your mental and physical workouts for your dog, and they thrive on it. You both have fun doing it. Get outside and do that. I think it's a good way of extending your hunting season, too. I mean, you're still you're still carrying your shotgun around. You're shooting blanks. You're doing. You're having a good time. You're doing an abridged version of your of your hunting. Sure, um, hunt tests are the key for me in the off season to keep doing it as well. So we set goals for each dog every year of what we want to achieve in the hunt test world. Uh, we're going to dabble in some field trials with Memphis and some super retriever series with Memphis, and actually. When Ember, oh, this Justin, we bred Ember, our Chesapeake Bay Retriever that's owned by our friend Jack. Um, you've all seen her on Instagram and whatnot. She was bred last week, so hopefully it took. We'll find out in another 25 days or so if it took. And But once she's done, we're going to run more hunt tests, get her qualified for Master National next year again. Really? Yep, and then hopefully run some qualifyings with her. Um, so running hunt tests in the summer, a lot of guys will message me and be like, you know, I just want a good hunting dog, but I don't want, I don't need any ribbons or field trials. Hey, I get it. Cool. You don't have to want it, but it's fun. Go out and try it. You know, join a a, a retriever club. Um, join a go to a hunt test and watch, and then participate in one. And that's a great way of setting new goals for you and your dog, achieving them. And keeping them in shape. Now, things to do with your dog that are not training related. Go on hikes, right? At your human pace of walking and your dog running and playing and just having a good time. And if you go two miles, that dog just ran 12. Um, That's great. Uh, Take them on a four-wheeler or a mountain bike and road them so they get good clip, you know, keeping that cardio up. One thing you want to keep in mind is running on pavement. So I don't necessarily encourage people to take their dogs on a road 
run where like you're a, a runner right and you like to run three to five miles a couple days a week taking your dog on three to five miles on a road is a lot of pounding on their joints on a hard surface where running through a field going at different paces slowing down speeding up sniffing stuff soft surfaces like a field are going to be easier on that dog than running on a road or a bike path or whatever swimming is huge just like for humans it's on your joints swimming is great so things like throwing watermarks and having them do a lot of swimming or putting them next to your paddleboard or canoe or kayak and just let them swim while you're paddling you know a couple one day a week of doing that would be great so those are some tips, but the most fun out of all of those things, I think just taking a dog on a hike here and there is fantastic, but the most fun is training and progressing their skill level. And now another question we get all the time, and we're going to focus on the rest of the podcast, is collar conditioning. The use of e-collars, the proper way to teach a dog the e-collar, There's a lot of misconceptions about an e-collar that they are cruel and unusual punishment and for punishing a dog, um, that they hurt a dog. Um, So I'm going to first cover that part. These do not hurt the dog if you use them properly. Um, This is not electricity. There's not little lightning bolts going between the prongs shocking the dog with the electric bolts. It's kind of like if you've ever gone to a physical therapist or a chiropractor and they put those little sticky pads on you and it stimulates your muscle and like quivers your muscle and you can turn it up and like get get that thing going or you can turn it back down. Uh, stims unit, if I remember what they are called correctly. Or a TENS unit, that's what it was, a TENS unit. So that's kind of the sensation. So the other kicker is, what, like all, I'm going to think about all these questions that all my obedience and gun dog clients ask me, and I'm going to rattle through them. So if I'm off base at all, just roll with me here. Another question I get is, um, well, I don't want to shock my dog. I'm going to vibrate my dog. Now, vibration is an okay idea. Here's why I don't use it. On my collars, I use dog tree e-collars for all my obedience and gun dog clients i sell them the 1900s it's simple yet the best one for for them right like there's not a ton of bells and whistles but it has phenomenal uh waterproof durability it it just is going to last them that dog's life and and longer um so that's the one i sell people it's the 1900s on the 1900s, and now I don't know about Sport Dog or Garmin, but on dog tree units, vibration only has one level, one stimulation level. So I can't scale my correction from low to high or high to low if I'm vibrating. So if I hit that vibrate button, it's only one stimulation level. It's, it's kind of high. So when I give a correction to a dog, I want to be able to give it very, very, very light and then scale up. And then when I scale up, I have the ability to scale back down when the dog complies and, and learns and understands what I'm showing it. Where if you're just thinking about it, 
if you vibrate that dog and it's always on one level, whether the dog's not that naughty or super naughty, I've only got one level. And so when it's super naughty and you need a higher level, you don't have it. It's only at one and it probably won't react or change its behavior. All we're trying to do is get a change in behavior, comply with the command. So if they're in a really high energy state or super fired up breaking for a bird or running across a road chasing a squirrel and you vibrate them and you can't scale it up, then the dog is going to continue to be bad and you don't have the ability to get your correction and the desired response, which is compliance. Vice versa, if the dog's super chill and you just need a little, little tiny tap, tap, tap a on that collar, just a real minimal correction, and you vibrate them and it's too high, then you're going to get a reaction out of that dog and it's going to not be positive, right? So we want, when I give a correction, I want to scale my correction to the dog's energy level, to the infraction that is there and or whatever you're doing. And we'll get into that further with training tactics. And so I want to fine tune everything I do. I want the control. And so on my dog tree units, I can do that, right? So I can scale up, get the desired response, scale back down. I can stay down. I can get it even lower. I can come back up. So that's how I look at it. So don't be afraid of the quote-unquote shock. I don't even like saying shock. I call it a stimulation, okay? So I give a stimulation to get the desired response. Once I get the desired response, I stop and I praise, okay? So the way to teach this is in our brain and in the dog's brain, we want that dog to learn that compliance with the command turns the pressure off and they get praise. So uncomfortable, comfortable, and praise. So the first thing I do with an e-collar is I put it on the dog and I let him wear it around for a couple days. Just get used to wearing it. No big deal. Then the first command I teach with it, oh, and by the way, I don't just do this to a dog who knows nothing. I teach first. So I teach heel with treats and a leash and pops on the leash and corrections with a leash. So now they're comfortable with getting a little bit of correction on a leash and correcting themselves and complying with the command for heel because of that. I teach here with treats. So coming to me gets a treat. They're getting a lot of positive reinforcement. So they're starting to understand these commands before I just start, quote unquote, shocking them, baby. I'm just using that stimulation once they've learned the command I'm teaching, okay? Um, so that would go with sit. That would go with down. And I don't even really, I don't even shock on down. I just, you know, sit when I'm teaching sit, whistle. I'll get into stimulation on that. So now with that being said, I've taught these dogs here, heel, sit, down, place. All the, They've got pretty darn good obedience now we're fine-tuning with this e-collar. Now we've created this rough image. We've sculpted this rough image. It's time to uh, sand it down and, and shape it and polish it using the e-collar. I hope that makes sense to people. I've taught the dog. I've built something pretty darn good, and now I'm going to refine it with the collar. So you're not just shocking them into stuff. You're not just giving stimulation and trying to get them to learn. They've already learned it. They already have a basic understanding of what I'm asking. Now I'm going to overlay the e-collar, okay? The first command I do is here. Here is, ha, 
here is how I do it. Bingo. All right. So if you have a helper or a friend, I'll have this, this is the easy, easiest way to do it. If you don't have a helper, I'll go into that next. If you have a helper, you're going to put the dog on your 25-foot check cord. You're going to give the helper the dog. The dog is being held onto by the check cord by your helper. You then walk to the end of the check cord. So remember, they're holding the dog back by the check cord. You have the end of the rope of the check cord. When you say Bubba here, that helper is going to let go of the leash, the check cord, and you're going to start delivering stimulation. Bubba here, neck, 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 or sometimes I'll do continuous, low continuous, neck, okay, so I'll vary it. But in the first few sessions, all I'm doing is necking. That's just how I do it. Other people do continuous from the start to the finish. This is how I do it. No right, wrong, or indifferent. You're asking me, I'm telling you. So, Kevin, let's say Kevin's got Bubba. Bubba's on the check cord. Kevin's holding him. Bubba here. Nick, 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 nick. The dog gets to me. I stop the collar pressure and praise the dog like he just won the Super Bowl. Oh, what a good boy. I love you so much. I'm I'm just loving on him. It's the greatest thing ever. Now I walk Bubba back to Kevin. Kevin holds on to that rope. I walk to the end of the rope. I tell Bubba, he, Bubba here, and I tug on that rope and reel him in, right? Because sometimes the dog will veer off left or veer off right, and they won't come directly to you. Okay, so if that dog's veering way off and is and or is frozen still, like sometimes they won't even move. They'll just stand there. You have control of the e-collar, so you're still going to deliver the nicks. The only way that that e-collar stops nicking is when the dog gets to you. Okay, and I'm going to explain that in a second. But if he's veering left or right and doing this big, you know, loop like a, a horse in a corral, your job is now to reel him in. While delivering nicks, nick, 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 get to you, good boy, all right, turn the pressure off immediately, and love, and love, and love. Now take him back to Kevin, do it again, do it again, do it again. Um, the reason why, if the dog is struggling, we don't turn the pressure off is because then they've learned by veering way off or standing still and just taking it, that's how they turn the pressure off. If I stay stubborn and don't move, he's going to turn the pressure off and come and get me or something. What they need to learn is the only way to turn that pressure off is to get to me. So there's all those are like the main things I see issue-wise with a dog where they'll stand still and just not know what to do. That's where you reel them in. Or they'll do like big loops around you or run past you and not come directly to you. The only time that pressure is turned off is when they get to you and praise. And I do that, man, probably 12 times, 15 times per session. So these are like five-minute sessions. We end on a positive note, loving on them, and then just take them back to the truck or put them up, okay? Um, during this time, for your house dog people, or, or, you know, gun dogs, but, you know, they're they're your house pet. When you're airing them in the backyard or you're on a hike, keep the check cord on them. And let them wear the e-collar. But you're not going to use the e-collar yet because they haven't fully learned it. 
but you've got the check cord to reel them in. So now that you're like actually putting pressure on and teaching, you aren't allowing, okay, in this instance you have to come. And then in an hour later when you're in the backyard doing your thing, now you can get away from me. If you leave that check cord on them in the backyard, you can walk to the check cord, call them to you, reel them in, give them a treat. Okay. So for the next five days, let's say you start this on a Monday for the next five days. Anytime that dog is out, you've got a check cord on them. They no longer can get away with you and play keep away and, and not come when they're called. So next session is Tuesday. Kevin's back, me and Bubba, Kevin's holding Bubba here. Nick, 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 Nick. Now I'm going to start scaling. This is where you, on the first day, excuse me, let's back up to the first day again. On the first day, we're finding that dog's threshold on the collar. So I'm slowly dialing it up. 99% of dogs around on a Dogtra, 1900S, is like a 10. 10 to 15 is where they can start feeling it. And it's very, very light tickle to them. They barely feel it. Some dogs at 15, it's a little bit more. So you've got to slowly dial that thing up as you're practicing this, finding out, okay, I can see the dog's head just twitch just a little bit like the neck just twitches a little bit or they they just you can tell physically by looking at your dog that they can't feel it and then okay they can and then i'm going to slightly dial it up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and then i'm going to dial it back down and then i'm going to dial it back up so from the average dog now some dogs can handle a lot more than others and like don't even feel it until you get higher but just for everybody to understand where i'm coming from I'm talking like, let's say their lowest threshold is a 15, I'm gonna, and their highest threshold is a 50. In that first session, I'm going to get up to maybe 25 and then scale back down to 20 and keep it 20 for a little bit, and then I'm done. And then the next session, I start at 15, and I get up to 30, and then scale back down to 20. And then the next session, I might get up like one time. I might get up to that high one where it's like, ooh, this is, woo, all right, baby, hoo-hoo. All right, that kind of, I felt that one a little much. And then I dial it back down, and you're creating this understanding that it's still not a bad thing to get those high ones. The positive reinforcement of getting to you and turning that pressure off, you're creating what's called compulsion, that hustle up and get here. So if you only stay real low, then they'll just lollygag to you because they can take it, and it's not that bad. So you've got to kind of find that threshold where, it puts a little fire under their butt, a little match in there, and they hustle. And so now you're creating compulsion to comply quicker. The quicker they comply, the pressure's turned off. The quicker they, they're now, by day three and four, they are pulling Kevin's arm off to get to me because they're like, I know he's going to say it, and if I get there quick, I'm going to beat the pressure and get to him. So you, throughout this process from day one to five, you're scaling things up and then keeping them at like a moderate level. Not too low, not too high, but throughout that, you know, five to eight minute session, you get a couple good ones and then scale back down and then a couple good ones and then scale back down. So you had mentioned, you know, most dogs are like, you started at 10, 15, whatever, but what, it, what is the highest that one goes just for like? For the 1900S, it goes to 127, right? So on the scale of zero to 127, we're still on a really low end. And most of my dogs are on that 25 to 35. I'm just saying at 15, you can see them to start feeling it, okay? Um, and again, if I, I'm going to stop for a second and go back and say, 
I, I tell people that the dogs have different energy levels, right? So zero is the dog is asleep. You can't be more relaxed than when you're asleep. So that's zero. One, two, three is them just walking around the house, chilling, lounging on the couch, doing their thing, moseying around. Four, five, six is perked up, you know, playing with their ball, um, chewing on a stick out in the yard, running and chasing other dogs. Level 10 is going out for a retrieve, chasing a deer, chasing a squirrel, pulling you across the road to get to your neighbor and their dog. Those are level 10s. So your e-collar stimulation or leash correction or verbal correction has to scale with that dog's energy level. So when they're at that two or three just walking around the house and um, maybe they smell Kevin's goose pastrami on the countertop and they jump up and get on the counter, I'm going to give them, like, again, all right, they're a three. I'm going to go to my collar and give them a five. Now, I don't mean like five out of 127. I just mean that's going to be the the notch. I'm going to be a little bit above their energy level to get the desired response to snap out of it and comply with command. Um, let's say they're just gently tugging on the leash trying to sniff the mailbox. That is a three. I'm going to give them probably a three or a four just to give a little bit more than to get the desired response of calming back down and healing. They're pulling you across the road to get to the dog next door. I'm going to give them a lot more because it's going to take a lot more to snap them out of that fixation and bring them back down to a normal level, okay? And then after I do that, I scale my collar back down to the normal working level, okay? So I don't just stay high the rest of the walk because they made one infraction that was not so good um, or like breaking in the duck blind. Breaking in the duck blind, you know, and going out after a crippled duck, that's level 10 excitement. I'm going to have to get onto my collar pretty good to get them to stop, come back, calm down, and the correct thing would be you go get your duck, but I understand that that's not the case most of the time, so let them sit down, settle down, realize that breaking was not good, then send them. So you scale your collar back down to your normal working level and and move on with your day. Um, I hope that made sense. So now let's say we've done five sessions of here where you've got Kevin as your helper. Now let's say you don't have a helper. Now I drive a truck and I've got those tow hitches on the front end of my truck that you can like, if you're stuck, you can ratchet something to it and pull it out or whatever. I don't know what they're called. Um, but you get my point. So you loop it through that. You loop your check cord. So now I've got the dog stuck near my truck and I've got the end of the check cord and I'm backing up away from the truck and keeping that check cord taut, and the dog's stuck there. Does that make sense, Kev? Yeah, I'm following you. What if... Almost like a pulley system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to say, Bubba here, Nick, 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 and he's going to start pulling towards me, and I'm going to release the rope, and he's going to haul butt right to me, okay? So that's how I would do it without help. Um, The truck usually gives myself and other people a little bit more trouble because... It's just weird. For a, you also let go of the rope. Yeah, let go of the rope, right? But now, let's say he starts veering off wide. Now, next time, I'm not going to let go of the rope. Now, I'm going to like walk a little bit towards him as he's coming to keep a little tension on that leash so he comes directly to me. So, if you don't have a helper, that's a way to do it. Um, and they can't really get hung up or tangled. That's the second best way. First best way is to have help. Um, so... 
that's how I introduce the collar. You scale up, you scale back down, you find their normal working level where you get the desired response without getting a physical or vocal response. You don't want their attitude to change unless they're really, really naughty, right? Like unless they're at that level 10, then I want a very visible attitude adjustment period. But if they're just being pretty good and you just need a little tickle as if you're giving a little pop on that lead, then I want that e-collar to be nice and low. So that's how I introduce the e-collar with here. The next one I'll do is heel. So they've already understand heel on a leash. I'm going to keep the leash on the dog. So I don't just go directly to off-leash heel work. I, I overlay the lead with the e-collar. And so every time, you know, I'm, I'm doing back and forths and figure eights, every time that dog is out of heel, I'm going to pop the lead like I would and deliver nick, nick, nick until that dog gets to heel. So now the dog has learned via here that being right with me is the best case scenario now during heel work, if he's away from me and getting out away from me, he's going to get a little pop on the lead and nick, 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 and he's going to suck right back into my leg. And then I'm going to keep walking, then I'm going to do an about face 180 and walk away fast, and he's going to be out in front of me, nick, nick, nick. Oh, look at Bob's going the other way. Turn right back with me and get up next to my leg. Then you can do like off-leash stuff and increase the difficulty on that. Um to me, that's 90% of collar conditioning is teaching that dog how to turn pressure off, get the desired response, which is compliance quickly through like trying hard. They try hard. They turn the pressure off or beat the pressure. They're trying to beat the Nick. If I tell Bubba after all these sessions here and he hauls butt to me, he doesn't get a Nick. Nothing happens. He just gets praise. So... He's going to want to hustle and get to me to beat the pressure. If he decides, hey, this stick I'm chewing on is way more fun than coming to Bob or eating this deer poop is way more fun than coming to Bob, he's going to get a here, neck, 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 and all right, he's coming. That doesn't mean I go high. It's just the invisible leash tugging going neck, 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 okay? Um, all right, so now we did five days with Kevin and Bubba. The next step to here, which I shouldn't have done. I should have done that versus heel, but my bad. I jumped around. So now next step with the here command, before I just go being off leash, is now I take him for a walk on check cord, and he's out in front of me sniffing and playing, and when I realize he's distracted, Bubba, here. If he immediately whips around and comes to me, no pressure, just praise. If he looks up at me and doesn't come right away, Bubba here, nick, 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 and here he comes, flies to me. Good dog. All right. Okay, go on. You know, and he starts walking around, and five minutes later, he's distracted. Bubba here, nick, nick, nick. He comes flying towards me. The next, so maybe two days of that, right? So you still got control of the check cord in case he gets a little squirrely on you. You can reel him in. So you've got control of the situation, but you're also able to have the e-collar stimulation if you need to. Then I'll go off leash, no check cord, and he can drag or, you know, don't drag it. He can just run around, and I'll call him when I see him distracted. I can get a couple nicks if I need to. Now, after, let's say, eight days of teaching here via the collar, he is stopping on a dime and coming to me 90% of the time without nicks, sometimes with a nick. 
But either way, I'm ready with the collar to deliver a stimulation if I need to. Then I'll go to heel work. Um, increasing the difficulty on that here command would be add more distractions, playing with other dogs. So for me, when I'm in the airing yard and all my dogs are horsing around and going to the bathroom and playing, I'm going to have that e-collar on the dog that's now at this stage, and I'm going to practice the here command while they're running and horse playing. So he's distracted playing with his buddies, Bubba here, and he's going to be like, yeah, screw you, I'm chasing birdie. No, 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 here, nick, nick, nick. And he's going to turn around and come and realize that no matter the situation, no matter how happy and excited and whatever he is, when he hears his name in the here command, boom, I'm coming, baby. Does that make sense, Kev? Yeah, no, I definitely, it, it makes sense. And I think, you know, everybody has a good dog when the dog wants to comply. Like, you know, the dog knows how to sit, but it sits when it wants to. But when it's distracted and when there's people around and you have guests over or you're hunting and there's guns going off and things like that, when it really matters is when you need them to listen and comply for safety, for making it fun, whatever. Like, So adding sure. the distractions is crucial. Right. So this is like all the things we just talked about is like in the schoolroom classroom, right? Then you, as you go... So when you're doing these, you want least amount of distractions possible. You want a lot of focus on you, not other dogs running around playing while you're doing this in the you know other yard. You want it low distractions and have them have ultimate success because they're learning how to turn this collar off and beat the pressure. And if they're distracted by other things, it's not fair to have eight things going on in their brain instead of just you and him. Um, increasing distractions as you progress with any obedience is going to help you when you need it so i will go to a dog park and i don't go in the dog park but i'll go outside the dog park and practice heel around a dog park i'll go on a parkway where there's bicyclists and runners and make sure they heel nicely there we have retriever clubs with hunt test training days and we'll practice obedience at those so that around a lot of gunfire and dogs and smells and birds and all the cool stuff that goes on there they are complying with obedience and they've got a level of self-control and self-discipline to understand all that stuff is good and fun but i still have to listen now the other kicker with collar conditioning is i don't start until they're six months old so i've allowed them you know four months with me basically to learn treat training learn good house manners and going to the bathroom outside and what's okay and what's not okay. And I've built an understanding of teaching this young dog already for the last few months. So I've got a really strong foundation. You can collar condition an older dog. I've done it to six, seven-year-old dogs who've had nothing. Um, so there's no old dog, new tricks kind of thing. You can teach an older dog with this method. But if I have a puppy... I'm waiting till they're six, seven months old and physically and mentally a little bit more mature, longer attention span, a little bit bigger, and I can start working the collar. But again, I'm going to reiterate, this is not a full-blown teaching tool. This is a refining tool. This is, I've already taught them what I'm asking. Now I'm overlaying it with the collar. And if you do that properly, then the collar transition is going to be super smooth. It's going to be that invisible leash on the dog. It's not a it's not a negative, it's a positive. It gives that dog so much more confidence because it a now has freedom 
because you can trust it off leash and it can run around and do awesome things because you have a tool that if he doesn't comply, you can correct him, but it gives him so much more freedom and he's now learned how to make you happy and comply quickly. And by making you happy, he's happy. And so you see these dogs that come into my program who are anxious or nervous or, you know, haven't been well socialized and just, they aren't sure of their role in the world. And through training, they get a self-confidence that the collar gave them. So all these people who have negative connotations of this collar, I could show you examples of dogs that are not happy being the dog they are, stuck on a leash 24-7 because they can't be trusted off leash, you know, go from a crate to a living room to a fenced-in backyard, and that's it because they don't walk nicely on a leash, and they're miserable animals. Well, now you've trained your dog, you've taught your dog this obedience and this collar, and it now allows you to walk your dog beautifully on leash, and he's an enjoyable dog to walk around your neighborhood. Now he's getting exercise. Now he's getting physical and mental stimulation. He's happier. Now you can take him to a park and run him off leash and throw a ball for him because you're not afraid of him seeing a squirrel and running off and having a 20-minute goose chase. So your dogs become more confident, more fun, more loving, trained. They're a pleasure to have around, and you're enjoying your dog to the next level. So to all those people who think collars are no good, suck it. (laughs) If you teach it right, if you're patient. Now, that's another thing, patience. If you lose your patience and say, oh, yeah, buddy, oh, yeah, Bubba, you're not going to come, crank that sucker up, and wham, that's not fair. Scale up. I agree with you. If Bubba's blowing you off, scale up, but that doesn't mean scale all the way up. Scale up till you get the desired response and then scale back down. All you're doing is gently exceeding his level of excitement and then scale right back down to his normal working level, right? So maybe it's a... Normal working levels of 20, Bubba's being Bubba, and he's tearing ass after a squirrel. Scale it up to a 40, gets the desired response, which is coming when he's called. Scale back down to 20. So you're not just riding that dog and giving him the business with the e-collar. That's irresponsible, and I understand why people don't like it because maybe that's all they know. But if you use it properly, stay patient, and teach the dog how to turn it on and off, then the dog is not like, unsure of why it's getting nicked right it now knows oh i'm getting nicked because i didn't come when i'm called or i'm pulling them on the leash or i jumped on the countertops or i'm barking incessantly you have this tool where they learned that if i comply quickly that's going to turn off and i get praise i'm going to work hard for that and you have a happy dog so again i hope that helped everybody it's got a lot of misconceptions i hope that cleared some things up on how it's not a negative it's a positive and how to take your dog through the process. If I skipped something or jumped too fast through something on this, please shoot me a direct message. Therefore, I can help you, right? Like this is, it's not hard, but it it's intimidating to a lot of people and therefore they don't do it. Or they think their dog's too soft for an e-collar. Again, you can use very low levels like you don't have to use high levels to get the desired response it's just like our force fetch episode i can force fetch any soft dog i can e-collar condition any soft dog because it varies in level okay so i'm not using it as a, a punishment tool i'm teaching and if the dog learns 
then it builds confidence and then you're good. So on the softest dogs, you can collar condition them. So try it. Shoot me a message. If you need a collar, I'd be happy to help you um, get into a dog trail. I highly suggest a 1900S. If you've got a really small, small dog, there's some smaller models that are smaller collars and smaller receivers. Um, but for y- most of you listening to this, your 1900S is going to be your best bet. If you're a really big into the game, uh, their Edge RT is sweet. That's what I use every day for retriever training is the Edge RT. Um, there are some pointing dog ones out there and houndsman ones where there's some tracking and GPS capabilities via dog tras units. Like they have a lot of great things that can vary stimulation levels that have nice features to them. They're durable. They're the best ones on the market and their customer service is sweet. I've been using them for 10 years. I love them. So unpaid, unpaid plug for dog tra. But if you do buy one from me, I get a little bit. So hook it up, brother. (laughs) But yeah, high five, high five via podcast. But anyways, that's that's my spiel on collar conditioning. I hope it was helpful so that you can tackle it with your dog and you can have that dog you've always wanted. Walking off leash, being able to take places and not be afraid they're going to run off. Um, so everybody, cheers to a new year. Cheers to episode fifty. Subscribe, five star review. Send Kevin a scathing email. Love it. Cheers. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.